Well, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Uh, Anybody remember that from your childhood? Take you back there just a little bit. Could you smell the crayons and the glue just for a second? This is a nursery rhyme that's familiar to most of us that we grew up learning. And um, I never quite understood it. I've got to confess that to you. I always thought, why is this egg sitting on a wall? Why is he wearing clothes? And what's horses have to do with anything? Um, This was kind of my thoughts as a child. And I start this morning with it because... While I may not understand Humpty sitting on a wall, and while I may not understand the king's horses and what they have to do with it, the reality of the story is that they couldn't do anything to put him back together again. I want to share with you a text this morning, though, where we see someone following after Christ who also had a great fall. And we can come to a different conclusion in that story, that This one who had a great fall served a different king. His king could indeed put him back together again. He can put us back together again. This morning as we look at this passage in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 66, we're going to see Peter, one of the leaders of the disciples, in fact, the leader of the disciples, the one who had exclaimed, Though everyone else will fall away, I will never fall away. Even if I have to die, I will follow you. We're going to see him today deny Christ three separate times. But we're also going to come to a wonderful conclusion that at the end, when a Christian, when a born-again believer, someone who truly is a child of God, when they fall, they are not left in the predicament of Humpty Dumpty. But our king, the king of kings, will restore and will put us back together again. Let's look at this together. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I need to know or nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man, this is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man. Of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. You may think in hearing this passage that this all happened right together. That Peter's denials, the first, the second, and the third, happened within maybe just a matter of minutes from one another. The reality is they took place over at least a couple of hours. While Jesus is before Caiaphas and before the Sanhedrin, 
in what we looked at last week and going before this Jewish trial, illegal, a mockery as it is. At this very same time, Peter is watching, hoping to see the end, Matthew says, and he is denying Jesus not once, not twice, but three times over the course of a couple of hours. Today, I want you to see a few things in this passage. The first of which is I want you to see again, self-confident Simon, self-confident Simon. If you go back to verse 54 in Mark, chapter 14, we see him there. As Jesus is arrested and led away to the Jewish council in verse 54, it says Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. And this was sort of Peter's pattern of his life. Here, after he flees in the garden, they come in with a flash of steel and flame. Peter draws his sword and he swings and he cuts the ear off of Malchus. But then he flees. When Jesus tells him, put away your sword, he flees, he goes, he runs away. But then Peter does what Peter does best. He pulls himself up by his bootstraps. He musters enough strength and he follows Jesus at a distance. Not close now. He's following from a distance, going from shadowy place to shadowy place, all the way into the very courtyard of the high priest. And this is exactly the pattern of Peter's life. R. Kent Hughes said it this way. No disciple speaks as often as Peter. Isn't that true? Peter's always opening his mouth. No disciple was reproved like Peter was. And he is the only disciple who thought he could reprove the Lord. He was impulsive. He was numero uno always. About the only time he was second was when he lost the foot race to the tomb with John. He had the great natural disadvantage of being the kind of person who always did it for himself somehow. When he became a follower of Christ, he naturally carried that style right on into his service. He had the strength. He had the will. Whatever the cost, Peter would follow Jesus. Know anybody like that? You know anybody that that thinks, you know, if it's going to be, it's up to me? You know anybody that feels like they have to do it? That they've got the strength to pull it off? That regardless of what goes on, they can't ever show any weakness? Maybe you're that person. Maybe you're that person who doesn't want to be vulnerable enough to show any need before anybody else. One of the things we're trying to do here at Abner Creek is to create a culture within this faith family where it's okay to be real. Where it's okay to let down your guard and open yourself up to some people around you. We're not saying come and take the mic and share all of your deepest, darkest secrets. But we are encouraging you to get plugged into a small group Bible study where you will find people that are going through much of what you're going through, who also have weaknesses and failures and are wanting to help one another toward this thing of following Christ. But Peter here, the common theme of his life is to always go out first, to always be the one in front to always do it in his own strength and in his own will. And I would tell you this morning, church, that one of the lessons that Peter needed to learn was that there was nothing good within him. One of the lessons that you and I need to learn this morning is that there is nothing good that dwells in us. You say, 
That's not a harsh preacher. Are you sure about that preacher? That's not what they tell me in elementary school. That's not what they tell me on TV. That's not what everyone at work tells me. See, one of the common lies of our days is that everyone is exceptional, right? We're all told, oh, you are great. You can be anything you want to be. Is that true? That's not true. I can't dunk a basketball. I used to be able to dunk a basketball. But right now, if I went down to the gym and tried to dunk a basketball, I might get the foam on the bottom of the backboard. Now, I can have somebody on their hands and knees on the court, and I can go off their back and maybe get the rim, but not like I used to be able to. I used to want to be the next Randy Travis. I would sit in my bedroom as a teenager and listen to Randy Travis sing all those songs. You're my always and forever and, and all of those, digging up bones and all of those songs. And I would, I would try to get my voice just like Randy because I was going to Nashville when I graduated high school. Do you know how many other kids in 1992 who were 18 years old thought they were going to be the next Randy Travis? All I had was a little bit of a voice that sounded like Randy Travis. But they could play instruments and I learned pretty quickly that I was not going to be the next star in Nashville. See, the reality is the world tells us you can be anything you want to be if you'll just try hard enough and set your mind to it. What this does is it sets us up for disappointment. We have a lot of people out there that they've been told all of their lives that you're so special. You're elite. You're in a class by yourself. And then, then they move them down the line and they tell the next person right behind them. You're so special. You're elite. You're in a class by yourself. The reality is what happens in life is they go out and when their dreams don't come true, they're left frustrated and disappointed. They're left to think, well, something went wrong and it can't be my fault because I'm exceptional. I'm elite. I'm in a class by myself. And so they begin to blame other people. And we live in a society that is filled with victims. Everyone's to blame, but no one's at fault. And what we need to learn is what Peter needed to learn and what we'll see that he did learn. That there is nothing good that dwells in us. The Bible says there is no one righteous. Not even one. There's no one who seeks after God. The Bible says that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. There's nothing good in us. It's impossible to please God without faith. Where does faith come? Faith comes from God Himself. We need to learn this lesson that we have nothing good that dwells in us. We understand that as Christians we have been redeemed. But we also are in the process of being redeemed. And that's one of the things that we've got to learn is I don't want to send you out of here with a doom and gloom message today saying there's nothing good in you. All right, have a good day. Because then you would treat the waitress very poorly. There's nothing good in me, so I'm not giving you a tip. You know? We have to understand that, yes, we have been redeemed in Christ, but we are also being redeemed. That right now, there is a war that is going on between our new nature and the flesh that we're still incarcerated within. We have to see this. And Peter didn't quite see it just yet. We must realize how much, though, 
we need the grace of God. We need it every day. We need it every hour. We need it every second. The Bible says, the one who thinks that he stands better take heed lest he fall. Well, here's Peter, self-confident Peter, just like he always was, thinking, I'm pretty good. I I can handle this thing by myself. Yes, I fled in the garden, but I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to keep my word. I'm going all the way to the end with Jesus. Yes, I know I'm hiding in the shadows. And yes, I know I'm at a distance now, but I'm going to go all the way. I want you to see then the second person in this is the scary little servant girl. Self-confident Peter runs into the scary little servant girl. In verses 66 through 71, we see her introduced. She comes to Peter and she says, you're, you're, you're one of them. You're, you were with him, right? You were with that Nazarene, Jesus. The first time he says, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You've got me mixed up with someone else. She comes back and she says to him, no, this time in the presence of bystanders, no, you're, you're one of them. I saw you with him. And this time, Matthew gives us a clue that he says, I swear to you with an oath, I am not him. I don't know the man. I'm not who you think I am. Third time, the bystanders, they start to chirp. They start to say, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. The book of Luke tells us that, that his accent gives him away, that he is a Galilean, they say. It's very distinct accent. You ever watch Swamp People? Peter was like one of them. He would be the one saying, shoot him, Elizabeth, shoot him, you know. He'd be, he'd be right in the boat with him. They'd have to put subtitles below Peter so that you would know what he's talking about. And here his accent gives him away. And he denies it. He calls down a curse on himself. See, Peter was very confident. And Peter went right into the courtyard and he goes right up into where the fire is and he sits among the guards and the temple police. The word here for fire is this charcoal fire. It's this big fire right in the middle of the, of the uh, courtyard. And Peter draws in real close and he's gone from shadow to shadow to try to get in. But now he's sitting around this fire and he's sitting with the very ones from whom he had fled in the garden. Well, you know what fire does. Not only does it keep you warm, but it also brings light. And Peter here comes, and he's very bold, and he's prepared for these guards. Somehow he thinks that he's disguised enough that he can come and sit right in the midst of them, and he's safe. Something he has done has prepared for them. He sits there, and his face is aglow from sitting in front of the fire. What he didn't prepare for, what he didn't prepare for was this scary little servant girl. And that's the way Satan often works. Oftentimes, Satan is not going to attack you or I as a believer through those big things that we are well aware of, that we will make preparations for. But he will come through that thing that we think the least about. He comes through the scary little servant girl. Oftentimes, firemen are called out to go and fight Fires. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's some, some other structure. Maybe it's in a forest. And oftentimes in a, in a forest fire, that fire didn't start with someone going out and, and pouring gasoline all over an area and then lighting that thing on fire. Oftentimes that fire will start, that great fire will start when someone takes a cigarette and flicks that thing out the window and the 
burning ember of that cigarette lands on just the right dry piece of material in the forest. And before you know it, that small little insignificant cigarette butt has lit this entire great forest on fire. And I would tell you today, Christian, that we must be on the alert. That oftentimes it's not the great things that we must watch out for, but it's the little things that we must watch and beware of. We must beware of that. Um, I'm currently on this diet that I'm trying to stick to, you know, rather strenuously. Sometimes I'm happy about that and other times I'm not so happy about that. You know, and I know there's places that I can't go. You know, I can't I can't go to Krispy Kreme. You know, I, I just I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. I, I can't go, uh, you know, to Dunkin Donuts or can't go to Strassner's. You know, you might know what Strassner's is. You know, I mean, that thing would offend Paula Dean probably. You know, Strassner's. I can't go there. But, you know, those things I know about and those things I will stay away from. But, you know, there's times when. My family will sit around and we'll be at a meal. And uh, i got to tell you what they did to me a couple weeks ago. I'm down here and I'm going to give them an opportunity to publicly confess and all this in a second. But we're sitting at a restaurant the other day and I was being so good. And I ordered a salad. I had grilled chicken on that salad and took the cheese off and did, did it just right. You know, and then after we had our meal, my family looked at the dessert menu. And they saw this dessert on the menu. It was bananas that were rolled in crushed potato chips and deep fried, deep fry anything, scoops of ice cream, and chocolate sauce. Anybody getting hungry yet? Okay. And all this all over top of it. And they bring this thing to the table and they sit it down right in front of me. I guess I'm the biggest one at the table. They figured it was for me. They sit it right in front of me and they put four spoons on the plate. I was hoping that they would bring three and they would snatch them, but they brought four spoons on the plate. And see, it's often the, those things that trip us up. It's those things that come unexpectedly. And that's the way our enemy works. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I've never watched anything on Animal Planet or the Discovery Channel where a, a, a lion in Africa is just standing tall. And walking through the open plain, head above the grass, walking up and trying to take down the wildebeest. What he does is he crouches and he crawls ever so slowly. And there's not just one line, but there are multiple lines. And they will encircle this, whatever you call a herd of wildebeest. And then they will, at just the right time, they will ambush this thing. And you and I need to know what Peter came to find out, that oftentimes it's not the guards, it's not the temple police that we are prepared for, but it is the scary little servant girl. He here tries to flee from her, and he tries to go from the courtyard out to the, the entrance, out to what would be what we would refer to as the narthex or the vestibule. He tries to get out there, but he can't get away from her. She notices him there. He denies it with an oath. I, I swear to you, I don't know him. And then the bystanders all begin to chime in and say, you're certainly one of them. Your accent gives you away. It's at this point that Peter begins to call down curses on himself. 
This does not mean, I've heard it preached before, that this means that, that he was cursing, that he was using foul language. It's not what it means at all. What he's saying to them is, I'm telling you that if I'm lying, may the hand of God strike me down. This is Peter denying his Lord, calling down the curse of the wrath of God on himself. And don't we do the same thing? I swear on a stack of Bibles. Here Peter falls. He falls because of this one little scary servant girl. How in the world could he do this? How could he deny the one who had rescued him from drowning? The one who had empowered him and sent him out to heal the sick and cast out demons. How, 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 could, he, how could he deny the one who had done so much for him? He does it the same way you and I do it all the time. And every Christian does it. We get too confident in ourselves. We don't listen to the repeated warnings. How many times did Jesus warn him? You're all going to fall away. Peter, get behind me. You don't have the things of God in mind. You have the things of Satan in mind. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. We do the same thing. We don't listen to the repeated warnings. He, we let our guard down. We stop praying. We stop seeking after God, saying, God, would you protect me? God, would you lead me not into temptation? We get confident and think that we've got it. We can handle this. We let our impulses drive us. This is what Peter did. It's what we often do. Instead of, instead of methodically obeying, sometimes we just react. We get away from following Jesus closely and we begin to follow Jesus from a distance. And this is what Peter did and that's what we do oftentimes when we also deny our Lord. You see, the self-confident Peter, you see um, the scary little servant girl and then I want you to see the sovereign Savior. After, after Peter denies him three times, it says, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Luke gives us a much more vivid picture of what happened. If you imagine that Caiaphas, his, his palace that he lived in, they built this structure. They built this, this four-sided structure with a courtyard in the middle. It was this large room that was open to the sky. And Peter had come right into the courtyard and somewhere in there, Jesus was on trial. And over the course of this two or three hours, Peter's watching from a distance. And Jesus is watching Peter from a distance as well. And Luke tells us that when Peter denies him for the third time, that from across this room, their eyes lock. Jesus looks Peter in the eyes and it was in that moment that Peter remembered what he said. I would imagine that that's a look that Peter never got over. Can you imagine? It's one thing to deny him when he's not seeing you do it. It's totally different when he's looking at you in the face. And Peter looks at that face that is purple and blue from the bruises now. That face that has blood trickling down and has just covered in spit. 
He looks at that man who has the, the, the clothing that he's got on is, is stained with bloody sweat that oozed out of his sweat glands when he was in the garden. And he looks him in the eye, and I bet you he never forgot those two eyes staring back at him. It was then that Peter remembered that Jesus had said, You will do this, Peter. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And just then, the rooster crowed the second time. James Brooks, in one of his commentaries, makes the statement that it's ironic that at that moment, at that moment when they were asking him, they were asking Jesus to prophesy, they were striking him in the face, covered with a cloak and saying, prophesy, tell us who did this. At the very moment they're asking him to prophesy, one of his prophecies is being fulfilled. It's powerful that Jesus, in, even in that moment, that moment that millions have pointed to through history and said, see, he was nothing more than a good man with a bad plan. That even in that moment, he was in control. That he was sovereign. That he knew exactly what was going on and what would come. And he did not resist, but he went anyway. We must also realize that this same Jesus knows everything. That he is all wise, all knowing, all powerful. He's all loving and he can be trusted with every detail of our lives. Had a hard week this week. Not as hard as some, but um, they're not here this morning. But Donald and Collier Thomas, who joined our fellowship, our, this faith family just last week, stood right here at the end of the service. She was 17 and a half weeks pregnant at that moment. Today, she's without child. Their 18-week-old their baby died Friday night. Yesterday, I stood at the graveside and we... Put that baby into the ground. You know what what I heard Donald say to me? You know what I heard him say when they were having to make the decision, when the doctors were saying, you know, we can go ahead and induce now and and we we can end the pregnancy now. You know what I heard Donald say? It's not an option, doctor. We're going to trust the Lord. We're going to put this baby into the hands of our God. And he did. And Collier was put on bed rest and laid in that bed for a week hoping that they would get to the point where the baby would be able to survive outside the womb. Friday night when I got that call that that she had delivered the baby and the baby was gone. And I went to the hospital. I looked into the face of Donald. You know what I heard from Donald? I heard Donald again say, you know what? We put it in God's hands and this is what God has decided to do. And we're going to trust Him going forward. It's hard, but we're going to trust Him. We, we talk about trusting God in this sort of just distant way that never really gets into our lives. But when it really hits home, can you trust Him then? Do you trust that He does know everything? That He knows all of your faults and all of your failures and all of what will go on in your life. And He knows what is best. And He knows what will serve His kingdom And He knows what He's doing in your life to take you and make you like His Son.
And Peter had to learn that he had to trust Jesus through everything. See, it's not just a one time come to Jesus and walk an aisle and go through the baptistry and then you're good for the rest of your life. It is a follow Jesus every day after that for the rest of your life and trust that he knows best. Look at what happens. Peter goes out when he looks into the face of Jesus and he denies him for the third time. And he goes out from there, remembering that Jesus had said this would happen. And Jesus, the Bible says here that Peter broke down and he wept. Both Matthew and Luke, in their account, tell us that he wept bitterly. That it was uncontrollable, that that it was body convulsing, falling on the floor, not enough Kleenex in the room, crying. Broken over his sin. When our weakness is seen against the backdrop of his strength. And we see that he is indeed sovereign and what we need. Then there is no justifying what we've done. There is no making excuses. The only thing that we are left with at that point is for us to fall on our faces. And lay ourselves, throw ourselves at the feet of a merciful God. When you, Christian, when, when I, when we fail, when we deny Christ, when we disobey Him, the answer is not for you to say, I'm going to try to do better. I think I'll, you know, I, I'll, uh, I'll put some action steps into place and, and I'll just work this thing out. You do need some action steps, but before you do any of that, what we are to do is to come back to Him and to throw ourselves on His mercy and say, Jesus, I have let you down. I have disobeyed you. I have denied you. Jesus, would you be merciful to me and forgive me once again? And 1 John 1, 9 tells us that when we take that posture that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of unrighteousness. That's the only place that we can take ourselves to. Well, you say, but what, what if he's not merciful? What if he won't forgive me? Well, here in the case of Peter, restoration is indeed possible and it does indeed happen. When you go to the end of John, when you go to John chapter 21, the Bible says that the disciples, Peter leading the way again, said, I'm going fishing. They get in the boat and they go out in the boat and they go fishing and they caught nothing. They come along and they see a man with a fire on the shore, and it is Jesus. And when they realize that it is Jesus, Peter doesn't wait for the, sh- for the boat to dock or to come to the shore. He does what Peter would do, and he jumps out of the boat, and he runs to Jesus. And he gets to the shore, and they have breakfast together, all of the disciples, and they're there with Jesus in his resurrection body. And he says, to, he, Pete, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Peter, do do you love me? Yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Then tend my flock. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know. You know all things. You know that I love you. Then Peter, feed my sheep. Jesus gave him three times to respond. Jesus gave him three different affirmations that the work was not over for him. 
once for every time he had denied Christ. And Peter went on to preach the sermon at Pentecost where 3,000 people came to know the Lord. Peter went on to heal the sick and cast out demons, even to the point where people would love to just get in the shadow because the power of God was so strong on him. Peter went on to write parts of our Bible. Peter was not disqualified. And Christian, neither are you. Not if you are one of his. What I would say to you today as we close this service out is that the message I think for all of us is that if Peter, the elite, the leader, the one who would lead the early church, if he can fail, then all of us can fail. And we need to stop putting on a mask as if we've got it all under control and we're perfect. And we need to start owning up to the fact that we are sinning. We do make mistakes. We do struggle here and there. We need to let some people into our lives that will help push us toward Christ. And we need to stop trusting in ourselves and we need to start trusting in Him, His strength. And when we do fail, we need to come quickly. We don't need to run from Him. We don't need to stay in the distance. We don't need to hide from shadow to shadow. But instead, we need to come straight to Him. And we need to throw ourselves at His feet for mercy. And we will find it there. I started with the story of Humpty Dumpty. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. Aren't you glad that we serve a king, the king of kings, who takes broken people and recreates the image of God in them? Let's pray together. Jesus, today we come into this place and we admit that, God, there have been many times that we have failed you. Many times this week that we have failed you. God, right now across this room, there are are probably people right now confessing sins to you. God, we thank you that you hear us. We thank you that you have invited us to come boldly to your throne. God, I pray today that in this place that we would turn from our sins and God, that we would trust you. And we would find forgiveness and restoration for those who are truly children of God in this place. God, I also pray that in this room, Lord, that if there are those who don't know you as Lord and Savior, that God, today would be the day of salvation in their lives. God, that you would breathe life into them. That you would make them alive. God, that today that they would be born again and they would today turn from their sin and their self. And God, that they would trust in the righteous life and the finished work at Calvary of Christ. And His resurrection. God, that they would count on that today. They would rest in that today. And God, that they would be made right with you. Lord, today I pray, God, whatever you want to do. Lord, you don't need my permission. But God, I'm asking you, be merciful in this place. Be powerfully merciful in this place. Break through hard hearts today. I pray this for your glory. And in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to transition from from what we've done into a time of response. We will forego the time of reflection this morning because you have an extended amount of time to reflect. We're going to 
celebrate communion together as a faith family. And what I would say to you is today, if you are a blood-bought believer, if you're truly a child of God, you have been saved. You're a member of this congregation. We invite you to come and partake in the communion together today. This is what we want to do as a faith family today. We want to respond to what Christ has done. Remembering what He's done. We look at the bread and we look at the cup and we remember that it was His body and His blood that was broken and shed for us for the remission of sins. We remember that today. We look forward in doing it also that one day that He will come again. And we're going to proclaim that until He does. Let me give you just a few instructions today that as we start the song, as we start to respond in singing, you can get up at any, any time and you can come with, with family members or friends or maybe your small group, whatever the case may be. You can come by yourself. Come, but come reverently. Come to this table and don't treat this table as if it's just something that's part of what we do. But treat this table in a very reverent, very respectful way. I'm going to ask you that try not to line up in the aisle. I know it's hard. It's going to happen. But try to be patient with one another. Don't push one another through. We want people to be able to take their time and really prepare their hearts and, and take this in a, in a spirit of worship. I would ask you that as you're standing there, if, you're, if you are standing in a line, don't use the time to talk. You know, it's not a time to catch up on sports or politics or the weather. I would ask you just to silently stand there and come through the line and take communion together. You can come on both sides of the table um, if, if you'd like, but we, we don't want you to just rush through. When you come through, you can, you can follow through and you can head back up and come back to your seats. And Ethan and the band are going to be leading us to respond through song. I'll be here at the front the whole time. If today the Lord has spoken to you, the Spirit of God's moved on you, and you know today you need to be saved, I would love for you to come to me. There's nothing magical about me. I would love to help you, though, to know how to trust Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. If today you're here and you need to join this church, this is where God's leading you, I'll be here. This is perfectly acceptable time for you to come during this as well. Some of you have been waiting and maybe this would be a time where you could come to me and then go from there and take communion at the table as new members of this faith family. Whatever the case may be, whatever God is leading you to, we're going to respond and we're going to respond in a very very worshipful way today. The Bible says God is seeking worshipers. And today we're inviting you to take this real tangible act of worship in remembering and looking forward to the work of our God.